theology, and, and certainly my job is not, and my purpose is not to condemn someone or to, to chasten or to, uh, to make, you know, belittle you if you don't hold to that same perspective. However, it is a belief that I believe in strong enough to hopefully instruct you and through that instruction, I pray that there is a revelation given to you to see the purpose and the value, something that then you believe in, and perhaps you then even move into the practice of. Now, I want to take a moment and just tell you a little bit of something that happened to me and JoJo and Shane and Brent just a, a few weeks ago. We were given an opportunity to attend a conference on building. It was a free conference. It was just a one-day conference. It was in northwest Arkansas. And it had caught my attention by a flyer that came in through the mail. And uh, it just seemed to stand out to me. And, and, you know, one day our church tends to relocate. One day, whenever that one day arrives. And uh, so, you know, I thought it would be an opportunity to just glean and gather some information. And so when we were there, and, and we were very enlightened, even though it was only about a five- or six-hour conference we, we gained uh, some very effective, uh, very good information that we, we appreciated gaining. Now, the one thing that caught our attention was the continual emphasis upon the millennials. We talked about it amongst ourselves and being the, the younger generation that's in the 18 to 35 age category somewhere in there. Um, and they gave so much attention to the millennials. That was the one thing that kind of frustrated us. It was like the rest of us... Might as well just be raptured. We didn't have any purpose, it seemed, you know. And um, but I, they they also gave us a book. In that the book was authored by the founder of the architectural movement that had created the the seminar. And so it was called simply "Tsunamis That Are Impacting Ministries." And it's a little bit of factual information, and I haven't read it in its entirety, but I've gleaned it multiple times, and I do want to share with you, uh, again, the context of the book is that there's a coming tsunami, a coming even an economic tsunami, not necessarily that's dependent upon the economy of the United States and the ups and downs or the world or the global economy, but because of the transition of age and the overlap that's about to take place. It's almost like the lake, you know, in the fall of the year, the lake turns over, a major move is about to take place in the next five to eight years with the retirement of the baby boomers, which have historically been the largest, uh, you know, populace in American history. But they have now been superseded by the millennial generation. And in this overchange that's about to take place, the value systems differ greatly. And people respond to their values. Now, one of which the author wanted us to note just real quickly, that there is greater competition on churches for the dollar than ever before. What we mean, what the, what the author meant by that is, is that a lot of times even um, people who aren't deeply committed to your church oftentimes still give in the sense of charitable giving. Some people need it for business purposes and different things. And historically, the church has been the largest charitable organization in America, or the percentage, but that's no longer the case. In actuality, just to be honest, 
uh, the report here that was placed in the book in 2010 was when this uh, information was collected. There were over 1.2 million charitable 501, is it 503, 501c3 organizations, which is nonprofit. You can actually get a tax deductible receipt like you will start getting next week from First Assembly. 1.2 million of those in the United States, but only 31% of those are churches. And that 450,000 of those 1.2 million have come online in the, in the previous 12 years from 2010. So that would have been from 1998 till 2010. So, and so can you imagine there's been even more? Beyond that, there's 450,000 additional organizations that are not necessarily, they're nonprofit, but they can't give you the tax deductible receipt, but they still can receive you know, um, uh, people's charitable donations. And so there's a lot of people competing. Does that make sense to you? A lot of, and, and during that time period, just a moment, let me give you a number. During that time period, the giving to the church declined. In 2010, the giving to the church declined by 3.7% across the board. But giving to uh, animal shelters and to anything related to, to dogs increased by 8.7%. And so, again, the value system is changing quite a bit. And so, the, the, the author of this book is saying churches have got to get ready. Churches have got to find a way. Churches have got to find a way to, to respond because there's a change. And one of the biggest shifts that the author noted just real quickly again, and I just wanted to mention this, was... And the baby boomers, just very quickly, in 2010, baby boomers accounted for 70% of all income that was earned in the United States. And at that time, they also gave over 90% of the $98.6 billion that were given to religious organizations. 90%. Uh, but but the, with this change that's taking place, based on percentages and this major, uh, major shift, it's estimated that by 2018, that 20% of all income will, in the United States will be earned by baby boomers. What a major change. So you can now think about that. If baby boomers are giving 90% of the income to the churches and, and, and are earning approximately 70% of income at that time, but within 10 years of the time that that was written, it was going to totally, like the lake, turn upside down. And suddenly, the, the most charitable, the most giving of us will now have the smallest income. And those that are not as prone to give historically to the church have the majority of the income. The author thinks the tsunami could about to happen or could be about to take place. Does that make sense? So it is of a little bit of concern. Now, the thing that I believe that needs to happen in the church certainly is, is that we all need to be taught the Word of God. And we need to have a deeply held conviction, whether you are a millennial or whether you're a baby boomer or you're the greatest generation, it doesn't matter. You need to have a principle that you live by, right? A principle of faith, something that you have read and studied and meditated upon the Word of God, and that moves you. And so today, in just a moment, I'm going to just share with you the principle that I believe in, and I believe in the tithe, and I want to encourage you to look at it and to study, and I'm going to show you over the next three weeks things that 
uh, connected to the tithe that have value both to your life and to the kingdom of God. But first, I'm going to start off just by doing this real quickly. I believe one of the things that pastors do is, you know, is we earnestly contend for the faith. And the Bible talks about we cast down strongholds and imaginations. And sometimes we often find ourselves with thoughts that are established within us that become acceptable practice and habits in our life, and, and they become a stronghold to us, and sometimes it's not necessarily biblical, and, and it has to be confronted by the truth, and, and the truth has to, has to be uh, presented to you in such a way that you, it, it kind of it becomes combatant with that thought that's in your mind. So I was sitting down, and I thought to myself, as a pastor of 20 years, as, as I wanted to mention just very quickly some arguments that I believe that many have in their minds as it relates to tithing, things that, that, they, that, they, that they necessarily, there are stumbling blocks to tithing in their lives. And I wrote down uh, nine of which, and I'm only going to mention three each week that I want to talk about before I even get into the Word. These are the things I wrote down real quickly. Some think I barely make it now. I can't afford to tithe. We'll talk about that later. I don't believe I'm required to tithe in the New Testament. That's a big one. It's difficult to address, but we'll have to. I tithe my time and my talents, many say. Number four, I give to other ministry, other needs. Some say I don't believe in the way the money is used, so I'm not going to tithe. Six, I have the resources. I'm doctrinally in agreement with the church. I'm even a member, but I choose not to, and God has still blessed me. Number seven, I give faithfully, just not 10%. My spouse doesn't attend church, so he or she is not in agreement, and so I cannot tithe. Number nine, I don't know much about it. I haven't been taught about it. So today, before I get into the Word, my sermon's not quite as long. I want to just touch on six, five, and four in that order. Number one, I have the resources. Or number six, I have the resources. You can put it on the screen if you can. I have the resources. This is the way I've seen. This is my observation. I'm in the sheepfold. I live amongst the, the church family. I communicate and, and with the church family, and I observe. And I see there are those that have the resources that are in a doctrinally, they're in agreement with the church. They are even members of the church, but they choose not to tithe. And they say, and God has still blessed me. And here's what I say to that. I agree, God has still blessed you because God is gracious. He is, he's gracious to us all. But because God has blessed you, you of all people, you of all people ought to be one ready to respond and to say, because God has blessed me, I want to be a blessing, right? I want to, and I value the church and I want to connect to this church. Number five, that's just my just quick response to that. Number five, I don't believe in the way the money is used, so I'm not going to tithe. Then why are you here? If you think we're a bunch of scoundrels stealing the money and, and, and you know, fleecing the sheep and, and you know, taking vacations and, and going all over the world and living in fancy houses and driving fancy cars and, and abusing the church, and then, then why do you even attend? Because that's not the truth, right? Because we manage God's resources, and, and we, feel, we feel the weight of being a steward. The Bible puts a challenge upon us. We're going to give account before God one day. And I know there's a lot of people, and there's a lot of organizations and ministries that have misused. I'm telling you, there comes a moment when you have to, if you're a part of a church, don't be a part of a church that you don't trust the heart of the leadership, and if you trust the heart of the leadership, then give your money in faith and trust God, right? God will still bless you. Number four, I give to other ministries and other needs 
but not necessarily to bring my tithe to the church. Well, it's our belief, the majority of us, that the tithe belongs to the local church. It's a principle that is woven deep in our hearts, and I'm going to show you partially today of how come that's the case, and that will begin to answer number four, and it's the purpose and the place of the tithe. And I'm going to go to a familiar passage in the book of Malachi, if I can, real quickly, the third chapter. Now, as you go there, let me say this to you real quickly. Nothing causes a hush to fall over the church than when the pastor says he's going to preach on tithing. Nothing causes a disconnect in the minds of some. I know there are far extreme abuses of the principle. I know that there's coercion that's been made from the pulpit. I know that many times manipulation and giving has taken place. And I know that there are disagreements doctrinally, and good people disagree as to whether or not tithing is a part of the New Testament church. And some try to place it entirely and exclusively under the Old Covenant. And, they, and, and you can go online, and you can find as much information to feed whatever camp that you're in. If you don't believe in tithing, you can go to the, that uh, website that will feed you all the information that you want to not believe in it. But if you believe in it and you want, to, if you want to study and search the Word of God, then you can find things that will strengthen your position. And so I'm not going to go into the, I'm not going to address Paul's writing about, the, about giving in 1 Corinthians 9 or 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 today. And I'm not talking about the gospel. I'm going to look at ancient Israel for just a moment. And you say, well, Pastor Brown, once again, that's Israel. We're the church. But you know what? The Bible says that we have been grafted into an olive tree. And we draw from the root and the fatness of that tree. And the Bible says in Romans 15 and 4 that the things that were written aforetime were written for our learning and our admonition upon whom the ends of the world have come. And God used Israel as an example for all of us. And this is a big part of their, of their, of their relationship with God and their, and their worship of God was the tithe. It was a, it was, it was a pivotal part, and I'm going to show you that today. And it, I don't think it's something that you should be afraid of. I don't think it's something that you should look at it as taboo or something that doesn't belong to you. I think you should look at it as a principle that once you ascribe to it and believe in it, it doesn't feel like an obligation. You, you have joy as you give. As you honor God because you know that you're but a steward of the resources that he's committed to you in the first place. Let me go just a little bit farther here as we read in Malachi chapter 3. Now, in the story, the book of Malachi, Malachi the prophet comes to us at the time in ancient Israel, most scholars believe, when Israel has returned from its 70-year period of Babylonian captivity. And the temple has been rebuilt many years earlier. Nehemiah is the governor. And Nehemiah is ordering the walls for the safety of the people. But the people have fallen into apathy. And even the priesthood itself, if you were to begin reading in the first chapter, the priests themselves are offering torn and, and, and sick animals on the altar to God. They're, they're, they're not offering what's best. They're keeping what's best for themselves and not giving God their very best. And they're stern reproofs by the prophet all throughout 
the book. And he arrives here in the third chapter. We're going to read at the first verse. And even though the context of what I'm going to speak from doesn't really pick up to about the eighth verse, but I think it sets the, it sets the, uh, the, the deeper context by reading the first verse. He said, Behold, I will send my messenger. So the prophet Malachi is speaking to the people at a time when they're, when, again, when their hearts are really not pure before God. And he's saying, My messenger is going to come. He's going to prepare the way before me. It's the promise of John who would come. And the Lord, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in. Behold, he will come, saith the Lord of hosts. And who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. And so here's this promise by, the, by, by Malachi of the need of repentance and renewal that's initiated by, by the promise of the Lord suddenly coming to his temple. The people are needing to repent and cry out. They need a purging and a repentance and a cleansing in their heart. Because before he can even address the issues that he wants to speak about here in the context of the tithe in a few moments, the people's heart has to be prepared. And so does yours. Your heart has to be prepared. Giving is a heart issue. It's not a financial issue. It's a heart issue. It starts right here in your heart. And again, that they would offer sacrifices that were pleasant to God. It says, then in the fourth verse, the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. And I will come near to you in judgment. And he said, I'll even be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers against false swears and against those that oppress the hirelings in his wages, the widow and the fatherless that turn aside the stranger from his right and fear not me, saith the Lord of hosts. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. God was compassionate that even in their apathy, God loved them enough to confront them in their apathy and to give them an opportunity to repent. I'm so gracious that God comes to us. When I'm distracted and my heart is, is filled with the things of the world and my mind is not renewed by the things of God and I've been conformed to the world rather than being transformed into the image of Jesus, that God comes to me and gives me an opportunity to search inwardly and repent of my sins so that I can have a pure heart before God. And so here, the, I believe it's the, Malachi is, is preaching. He's just simply saying, return to me. And, and you'll be all that I have hoped that you would be, and I'll be able to bless you, as it says in the seventh verse. Even from the days of your fathers, you are gone away from mine ordinances, and you have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, saith the Lord of hosts. I mean, oh, God is faithful. James said, if you'll draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. You may have came in here today feeling distant from God, and the pastor is preaching on tithing. Well, still, that's because it's a hard issue. Right? And your heart may be away from God. Well, then turn to God today. Turn to God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And God is right there for you. He's waiting. His arms are outstretched. He's waiting to return unto you. It's the promise here in the book of Malachi. And then he says, a que he asks a question. Look at this. And I know that if you've been in the church very long, you have been posed this question. It says, will a man rob God? And that's a strong statement. And so when, when he said this, he said, yet you have robbed me. He said, will a man and can a man rob God, the prophet says, and, and, and yet you, it's a strong reproof from the prophet. He says to the entire nation, you have robbed me. But they said, how? How have we robbed God? How have we robbed God, that God of heaven? 
How have we robbed him? And God said, you have robbed me in tithes and offerings. That's a strong reproof. And I don't know if it called a startled look to come over their face when the prophet stood perhaps on the stairs of the temple with the people gathered about to offer in the, in the court on the, on the brazen altar and the prophet stood up and lifted up his voice. Maybe that's where he was at when he received this oracle from God. And, and he said, you've robbed me and they're offering sacrifices that are not holy to God. And, and he says, you also have robbed me in your tithes and your offerings. And, and so he said, you're cursed. Look at this. You're cursed with the curse. He said, even this whole nation, even this whole nation. So this whole nation was neglecting the tithes and the offerings. And the end result, God said they were cursed with the curse. Let's think about that. In essence, the lack of honoring God and the tithe was affecting every area of their lives. Sometimes if we would do honest inventory, we would discover that maybe that's where the enemies gained access. Maybe that's why things are out of order. Maybe that's why things are confusing. Maybe because we have given place to the devourer because we have not honored God in areas that we know that we should have. Instead of blessing and favor, they were being cursed. Instead of abundance, there was lack. Instead of peace and harmony and confusion and strife, there was confusion and strife, excuse me. So the command is to bring all the tithes, notice this, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. For what purpose? That there may be meat in my house. And I'm going to really get a hold of that in just a few moments. So let's tuck that away. Because the tithe, as many of you know, and if you don't, let me tell you, was for the support of the Levites, the priests, and also for the widow and the strangers. But for just a moment, and I'm going to get into this next week more, but look at the promise that God makes. When he makes the charge or the command to bring all the tithes into the storehouse, God doesn't just make the command without attaching a tremendous promise to it. God says if your heart's right and you bring the tithe into the storehouse, God said, he said, look, this is what I'm going to do. God said, I'm going to open the window of heaven upon you. I'm telling you, God has the ability to open up abundance, right? God has the ability to bless who he wants to bless. God can choose you out of a multitude and cause favor to reside upon your life. He can. The blessing would be poured out that there would not be even room enough to contain it. And I know you've read this before, but let's read it again today. He said, God said that I will, in the 11th verse, I'm going to rebuke the devourer for your sake. The devourer to ancient Israel, was the, it was the palmer worm and the caterpillar and the locust. It was the pestilence that would come and would steal their agricultural harvest out of the field. But God said it might happen to the Philistines and it might happen north in Syria and it might happen south in Egypt. But God said, I'm going to stand over your field and you don't have to put a scarecrow in the field because I'm going to put my angel in the field. Come on, somebody, and I'm going to drive away the ravens, and I'm going to drive away the worms, and I'm going to drive away all the other insects, and I'm going to cause my rain to fall on you, the former and the latter rain, and it's going to bring forth your harvest, and your harvest is not going to give its fruit before this time in the field. It's going to mature right at the right time. This maturation of your fruit's going to come, and there's going to be an abundance, and you're going to be able to celebrate, and you're going to be able to rejoice. And I tell you, I've been in seasons like that in my life, and I'm so grateful for the abundance of God. I'm so grateful for the kindness of God and his resources that he holds. And look what he said here in the 12th verse. And all nations shall call you blessed. All nations would call the nation of Israel blessed. For you're going to be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. So here's the argument that so many make. It concerns the application. It's tithing applicable under the new covenant of grace 
because many say, well, well, we aren't under the law, Pastor. Well, first of all, let me just clarify for you. This passage is not the law. The law is the Torah. It's the five books, the five first books of the Old Testament. This would fall under the prophets. And I'll argue that point with you a little bit later. But I just want to remind you again of just because it's not under the, because we're in the new covenant doesn't mean that we don't go back to this old covenant in the lens of understanding that God's given us and say, God, I see principles of faith because all scripture was given by inspiration of God, right? Whether it's the book of Leviticus or Micaiah, or what doesn't matter, whatever. If it's the book of Habakkuk or Haggai or Malachi, it doesn't matter. It's all been God-breathed, and God can bring life out of it and principles of faith that I can believe in and I can act upon. And so I want to I show you for a moment. It's, it's what, what I want you to see today is I want you to see a part of the purpose of the tithe. That's what I want you to see. The 10th verse, God said that there may be meat in my house. That there may be meat in my house. Now, if you've studied the book of Leviticus in the past, then you understand that the tithe was given for ministry support. The tithe belonged to the, to the Levite. He had no inheritance in the land. All the other tribes were given lands to divide, but the Levite was not given tribes. The tithe, or she was not given land. The tithe was his division. It was his part. From his tithe, the Levite tithed to the priest. And so then the priest received his blessing through the tithe. It was also to aid in the fatherless and the widow and the stranger that was in the land. It was for benevolence. And so there are different uh, applications. I'm not going into the third year of the tithe that belonged to the Levite that was in the gate or the annual. I'm not going into all that today. You have to read that on your own. I'm going to show you something and make a connection that I want you to see. But here's a question that you might ask, that someone might ask. They say, well, now, Pastor, think about this. If God would abundantly bless the nation for tithing, then why couldn't he just bless the Levites without the people tithing? Have you ever thought about that? If God would abundantly bless the people with rain and fruitful harvest upon their land, if they just brought the tithe so that, the, that there would be meat in God's house, then why couldn't God just abundantly just bless the Levite and the priest without the people bringing the tithe? So that, again, begins to open to us the purpose for the tithe. He could. But it, again, it reveals the deeper purpose, and that's where we're going to conclude in Deuteronomy chapter 12, and that's what I'm excited to show you about today. I'm feeling good in the Lord's house, right? I am feeling good in this house today, and I'm going to show you because I believe there's a mystery that's contained in this book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter number 12, and I just want you to, to just read it with me for just a moment. I want to get a hold of this and just see what this does in your heart. This passage, we're going to read 14 verses of Scripture. And for some, this is called the law of the central sanctuary. The law of the central sanctuary. And I want you to read it with me here. And we're just going to kind of read it and glean it down just a little bit, maybe talk about it a little bit as we go. It says, these are the statutes and the judgments which you shall observe to do in the land. Now, I understand this is ancient Israel. 
the people of God. They're on the edge of the promised land. Deuteronomy is Moses' farewell exhortation. This is his final charge to the people, reminding them of the things that they have learned in their 40 years of journey, which the Lord God of thy fathers giveth thee to possess it all the days that you live. Now look at this. You shall utterly destroy all the places wherein the nations which you shall possess serve their gods. Israel, the land that they were about to take possession of, had been previously inhabited by seven nations, the Bible says, which are stronger or greater in number than the Israelites. But God would displace them during the conquest. God would send an angel. God would send the hornet or the wasp or the bee and drive them out of hiding and warfare would take place and they would be driven out of the land and God was bringing wrath or judgment upon those seven nations because of their abominations. The 31st verse, if we were to jump ahead, we won't read this all today. Certainly we're stopping at the 14th verse, but the 31st verse says they're committing every abomination that you can even think about. Those seven nations were sacrificing their sons and daughters to the to their pagan deity. Israel would be such a contrast they would bring their firstborn children to the lord's house they would pour oil on its head hold it up and say god i thank you for this child and i dedicate this child to you that he'll live strong and glorify you all the days of its life the pagan amorites and the the other nations would take their firstborn children and take it to a pagan deity uh shemosh or molech a brazen fire burning and cast their child into the fire God said it was abomination. And so God said, he's pronounced judgment. He said, I want you to remove all the residue. I mean, no, that type of religion needs to be removed. All that needed to be removed. Destroy the names of, of even their gods out of their place. You shall not do so unto the Lord your God. But notice this. Here's where things begin to get exciting. But unto the place. Think about that. Catch what he said. Unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there, even unto his habitation shall you seek, and thither shall you come. I love that. I love the King James English, don't you? You didn't know you came to church this morning. Thither shall you come. Thither shall you came. You're here today. Number six, and thither you shall bring your burnt offering. That's your sacrifice of praise and your sacrifices and your tithes, your heave offerings and your vows, your freewill offerings and the firstlings of your herds and your flocks. And there you will eat before the Lord your God. You know you're eating right now. Some of you think, well, no, pastor, at about 12, 15, I'm going to be headed down to the rustic inn or I'm going to be going here. No, you're eating right now. You're eating the word of God. Right? You're feasting upon the word right now and it's satisfying and, you're, and it's meat for men and it's milk for babes. And, and there you'll eat before the Lord and you will rejoice. I came to church to rejoice in all that God's done in my life. Did you? I'm going to rejoice in all that he put into my hand, me and my households, wherein the Lord has blessed my life. I don't know about you. I'm blessed. I'm so grateful to a God of blessing today. Let's read a little farther. <coughs> You shall not do. Say, now, Pastor, I just want to give wherever I want to give. I just want to choose. And remember number four of the argument, while I give here, I give my tithe to this particular ministry on television. Or I give this. 
Look what he said in this verse of Scripture. I think it stands out, don't you? Are you all with me? Did I lose you somewhere along the line? Look at verse 8. You shall not do after all the things that we are doing this day. Every man whatsoever is right in his own eyes. You can't just live life the way that you want to live life. You live life, if you're a child of God, you don't belong to you. You belong to him. The Bible plainly says you were bought with a price. Glorify God in body and spirit. We are not our own. (coughs) We belong to him. He said, you're not yet come. And when he wrote this or spoke this to your rest, to the inheritance which the Lord your God has given you. But when you go over Jordan and you dwell in the land which the Lord your God gives you to inherit, and when he gives you rest from all your enemies, he said, then there's going to be a place. Did you catch that? Can we say it again? Then there's going to be what? (coughs) A place which the Lord your God shall choose to cause what? His name to dwell there and thither once again. Shall you bring all that I command you, burnt offerings, your tithes, your heave offerings, 12th verse, and you're going to rejoice before the Lord your God, your sons, your daughters, men servants, maid servants, and the, and the Levites. Take heed to thyself that you don't offer your burnt offerings where? It's not in every place, but it's in the place. See, I believe that every child of God should have the place. Well, let me say it again. I believe every child of God should have the place, the people that God has connected them to. And there is where you bring your offering unto God. I'll go a little bit farther with you in just a moment of time. It seems to me, (coughs) as I read this and concluding in the 14th verse, but in the place which the Lord your God shall choose, it's there that you're going to do all that I command you. Here's what I observed is that God gives a strong charge to Israel to not simply attempt to do what is right in your own eyes, but that there would be a place that he would would choose. He mentions it in the 5th verse, the 11th verse, the 18th verse, and the 21st and the 26th verse. It would be the location of his altar. It would be the location of his sanctuary. Initially, it would be where the tabernacle abode. It would be replaced by the temple. It's where the nation would both sacrifice and bring their tithe unto God. It was the place that God chose, not anywhere they wanted, not anything that they wanted, rather to the central sanctuary, to the Levite, and to the priest. I told you I was almost completely better. It seems as if God's intention, listen to this very carefully. I believe this is a very important point. And I know you're not shouting me down, but I'm preaching right anyhow. And I'm preaching not to, I'm not here to reprove anyone. I'm not here, I didn't come with malice or I didn't come with frustration in my heart. I came to to show you as an individual and to us collectively that I believe in this principle so strongly. That I would pass this principle to my children and to my children's children. That if we honor God with the tithe, then we're connected to the heart of a church family. And that God will honor the sincerity of our heart. And he will bless both us and our congregation. Come on, somebody. So it seems to me, this is what I discovered as I read this. It seems to me that God's intention, part of the purpose of the tithe was to unify worship. Did you catch that? That seems so 
small and easy to overlook, but by bringing the people to one location to worship, they would worship one God. They would obey one law. They would uh, certainly, again, it would lead to the prevention of idolatry, and it would engage the people in a joyous worship of God. The people were to rejoice before the Lord. They would be allowed even to eat a part of the tithe inside the gate when they got to where they were uh, bringing the offering to. And as I said previously, you're actually eating part of your tithe. You're eating part of your tithe today because you're hearing the word of God. Because a man was allowed to sit at his desk on Friday and meditate upon the word so he would come to this house with his heart filled with the word of God to be able to share it with you. I still believe this principle to be one of, if not the greatest stimulus for tithing in the New Testament church. God places each man or woman in the body where he chooses. He does. He places you in the body. He brings you into fellowship. Did you know that? Listen to me. Don't disconnect. This is so important, especially if you've never practiced the, 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 the principle of tithing. He brings you into a fellowship. He places pastors over you. Yes, I said over you. That Hebrews says you need to submit to you that, that because we watch for your soul. That we're going to give account before God one day. And God brings you into a fellowship. You aren't to just simply do what's right in your own eyes. You're not to just live your life disconnected from the body of Christ. Everybody is to be submitted to somebody. We're submitted to each other and we're submitted to a larger organization of the assemblies of God and to leaders that God's placed in our own lives. You submit to a body of believers. You submit to godly leadership. You join your faith to their faith in corporate worship and you learn to rejoice before the Lord your God. You do your part. You're seated in, a, seated in a seat that somebody gave an offering or a tithe to purchase. I'm standing on a, on a, on a platform that somebody wrote out a tithe, right? We're here in a, in a semi-air-conditioned building on a, on a sultry day in January. Who would have thought that? But, but, but we've got airflow moving through the building. Why? Because somebody, somebody gave a tithe. We sent the church van to pick up people who didn't have the ability to drive to church today <coughs> in a van that was purchased that somebody brought a tie to. Are you hearing what I'm saying, church family? And so it's God's will for all of us to participate, to, for you to do your part, for you to work and to worship, to serve and to give and to sacrifice. And if we go back to the book of Malachi, it's the whole nation. I believe everybody should do their part. Everybody, everybody can participate. And you know what? I want you to think about this for just a moment. I'm almost finished. I want you to think about what would happen. What would happen? I haven't felt very good. <coughs> but I think I'm going to run. I run when I get excited. What would happen if everybody began to tithe. Don't you think about that. You tell me what would happen if every individual that was a part of this church family saw the virtue, saw the spiritual principle, began to discipline themselves, began to sacrifice. And I'm telling you, for some, we give out of our abundance. But some give out of need. 
But I'm telling you, those that give out of need sometimes can have greater joy even than those that are given out of abundance and that they would write it right here. doesn't matter the amount comparable to anyone else's, but it, what matters is a principle that you saw in the Word of God. And you said, God, God, by faith, I'm giving this tithe. I'm telling you what would happen if everybody... You're talking about a stimulus for worship, Shane. You wouldn't have to have people stand. and you, I mean, because people would already be up. There would be such a feeling. There would be such a power permeating this church family right here. It would become electric in this house. It would. And I'm telling you, it wouldn't just be a small group. It would go throughout the entire body. And it would bleed over until the entire community of Heber Springs... I'm telling you, it would be something that could not be hid in a corner. If all of a sudden, one church in America had 100%, not through coercion, right? Not through forcing it, the ideology upon anybody. Not through belittling you because you can't or because you don't. But because you search the Word of God. Come on, you got alone with God and you began to read and you began to see that, my God, the Bible says in Proverbs 3 that if I bring the first fruits of all my increase unto the Lord, God's going to bless my barns with plenty. Come on, somebody. And my storehouses are going to begin to overflow. And then you begin to walk through your house at night and you say, my God, Father, the devourer's been coming in. But God, I'm bringing my tithe to you tomorrow at church. And so I'm going to expect you to send an angel right now. I'm going to expect you to send an assignment of an angel to my family, God, because I need you to rebuke the devourer on my behalf. Glory to God. Come on, I'm telling you, it would lift your faith. It would. It wouldn't be forced. It wouldn't just be religious. It wouldn't be because you felt the pressure of a preacher that's trying to, to, to manipulate you into doing something. It would be a stimulus of faith. And I'm telling you, it would explode all throughout our community. People all over our community would begin to hear about what was happening at First Assembly of God. And it would be a spark of a supernatural move of God in our midst. And I'm telling you, I believe it's possible. I do. I've said this. I believe that giving is a part of your worship. And worship can be hindered when you don't tithe. God will take notice. He said, prove me. Prove me. What can be wrong with that? What could be wrong with that as I close today? Say, Pastor, what was the purpose of the tithe. I believe a part of the purpose was to unify the people's worship, to bring them together collectively. God gave the command. Yes, God could bless. God can bless preachers and pastors. There's other ways and means that we could do what we do without the tithe, but God ordained that they that preach the gospel should live of the gospel. So God could, but he didn't. He chose this way. And when we all go God's way, then we all go with God's blessing. Well, who's coming back to the platform? Is it you, Aaron, with me today? And so today, as I close, let me just simply say this again. What was the purpose of the tithe, or at least part of the purpose of the tithe? It was to unite the people in corporate worship at the place that God chose. So I believe it comes back to this right here. Is your heart knit together to this people? Is your heart knit together to this place? Do you value Joining your faith to others in corporate faith and worshiping God. 
One God, one faith, one place of worship, a unifying of our faith. God has placed us in this body. He's united us together with men and women of like precious faith. In our corporate worship, shouldn't our hearts be knit together in love? Isn't that what Paul said? Our hearts are knit together in love. As Israel obeyed God collectively, they were shunning idolatry. And they were shunning the influence of other nations. And God's reward for their faithfulness was blessing. Even to the point that pagan nations took notice of. And I really believe in my heart of hearts that God can do such a work in our hearts that the community would take notice. I believe his blessing should be upon us to the degree that it would cause people in our community to say, man, whatever they got, I want. We believe that's the blessing God wants for your life. That when people around you, your family, they see, they see your faithfulness. And they say, man, my God, God, that's something supernatural, what God's doing in their life. Next week, I'm going to preach to you some of the promises that are associated with the tithe. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you in the Word of God how that God is attached. That was just one passage that we read in Malachi 3. All throughout the Word of God, God's promised that He would bless those that are faithful. And I'm telling you, when God gets ready to bless you, He can bless you unlike any other. A place and a people whom God has chosen. Here, God desires every person to do their part my question for you is this let me ask you this question I'm closing it's right at noon but listen to this real carefully is your heart tied to this fellowship that's my question for you I want you to just answer think for just a moment you say not whether you're, you're tied to the Lord because I, you can be at home and worship God I know that you can be at home and, and say I love the Lord yes I understand that but our hearts are supposed to be knit to a fellowship Right? And if it is, if it is, remember what Jesus said? He said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Okay? Now let's flip it. Let's read it in different. Where your heart is, there your treasure should be. Let me say that again. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also where your heart is if your heart is connected to this place connected to this people connected to these pastors then your treasure does that make sense today church family I pray that every person reconsiders the tithe and you see it in a different light, in a different lens. Don't just, don't just, if you've not practiced the tithe, don't just take this message and just disconnect from it in a previously already made up mindset. Take heed what I've said. Go home and pray about it. Study the word. Ask the Lord. Ask the Lord and say, God, am I doing my part? Is there more that you want from me? Is there something that I need to do? Is it right for others to do their part while I don't do my part? I believe God wants us to all do our part. Why don't you stand up with me today? Our heads are bowed and our eyes closed.
for just a moment today, give you this opportunity. Maybe your heart, you know, I've said this throughout the message. I've said it, tithing is a heart issue. It's a heart, it, meaning in essence, it's a response to the relationship that you have with God in your heart. And if you don't have a relationship with God in your heart, I want you to have that today. I want you to know Him. I want, the, I want God to be the Father to you. I want you to know Him in such an intimate way that you know your sins are forgiven through Christ. You know you're His. You belong exclusively to Him. And if you don't know the Lord today as your Savior, I want to pray with you right where you are. If you, if you say, Pastor, you know, I'm, I'm taking inventory of my heart today. And, and to be honest, I don't know the Lord as my Savior. Pastor Brown, would you pray with me? I'll pray with you right where you are. If you have the courage, lift your hand up and just show me today that you're here and you don't know the Lord. And I want to pray with you. Secondly, today, you're in this house today and you simply say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray for me in this area of the tithe. I see it. I believe in it or I'm beginning to believe in it. Pray, Pastor, that I have the courage and the strength and God gives me the resources so that I can do what I want to do in my heart. In my heart, I've already tithed, but I haven't yet been able to do it. Pastor, would you pray for me? Pray with me. I know it takes courage, but slip your hand up and I'll pray.